Good morning. Uh, title of the lesson this morning is No Gift Too Precious, and that's based upon John the 12th chapter. We'll take a look at verses 1 through 8. And I'll ask you this question as we kind of get into this. If you gave Jesus a gift, what would you give? And I'll explain that a little further as we go along. In John chapter 12, Jesus is invited to a dinner. It's there in Bethany. And then Mary, as being one of the main characters in this uh, section of Scripture, she honors Jesus with the gift that she gives at that particular time. And so we ask once again, if you had that opportunity, what would you give? So three points. Give Jesus my best. Better to give than to receive. And then don't hold back. So John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. If you want to turn there, and we'll uh, be reading down through that as we go along. Let me tell you this as we kind of jump into this. Uh, in uh, preparing for this lesson, I was reading by reading different what different people had to say about this. And one writer said, when you come to this section of Scripture, you've got to bring your head and you've got to bring your heart along with you as you study this section of Scripture to really appreciate it and to understand it. And so I thought about that for a while, kind of pondered that, and I thought, now, it's pretty easy to jump in, just go down through here and look at these verses, and we can bring our head. So how do we bring our heart to this section of Scripture? So this is my attempt to help us all get there. So I'm going to give you a little review on the Gospel of John. One of the things about the Gospel of John, it breaks kind of nicely. Chapters 1 through 11 is Jesus' public ministry. And then you come to chapter 12, and that public part of that ministry is closing out. And then 12 through 21 becomes much more private. Here he's going to be at someone's house. He's going to be invited to this dinner. And then when you move to chapter 13, then it becomes mainly just the apostles. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And then he will be arrested in chapter 18. So, 1 through 11 is public ministry. And then chapter 12 through 21, it becomes more private. I'm going to give you just a little review of John's gospel up to this point. So you remember chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Chapter 2, he turned the water into wine. Chapter 3, he has a conversation with Nicodemus at night and tells him, unless you're born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter in to the kingdom of God. Chapter 4, he talks to the Samaritan woman at the well. And those who worship me must worship, must worship me in spirit and in truth. And in chapter 5, Jesus explains that he's equal with the Father in works and all that he does. He's equal. John chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000. John chapter 7, he says, when you judge, judge righteous judgment. Why does he say that? Because he's not being judged fairly. John chapter 8, he encounters a woman that has been taken this in and he says, go and sin no more. Chapter 9, he heals a blind man. 
really to help us to see that we're all spiritually blind. Chapter 10, he is the door of the sheepfold. And he is also the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. Chapter 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And that will bring us to chapter 12. But let me add this. In John's Gospel also, you find these seven I am's. And in chapter 6, after he feeds them bread, he said, I am the bread of life. And in John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. And then it's John chapter 10 where he says that I am the door of the sheepfold and he is also the good shepherd. And it's in chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life. There's only going to be two more I am's after this. One of them is going to be found in John chapter 14 where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then in John chapter 15, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. Can we get a little better picture of it? And so now when we come to John chapter 12, this is where he is. This is the things that he's done. This is the things that he has taught. So let me ask you, if you had an opportunity to give Jesus a gift, what would you give? What would you say? What would you do? There is a quote-unquote Christian group, maybe you've heard of them, called Mercy Me. They have this song entitled, I Can Only Imagine. And what the writer or what the singer is saying is, I can only imagine when I come to eternity and I stand and I face Jesus face to face. And then he asks that question. He says, I can only imagine what my eyes will see. When your face is before me, will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I like that song. Good words. John chapter 12. Mary is face to face with Jesus. And she has this opportunity to offer him something. And so as we take a look at this story, we see her response to her, uh, him on that particular occasion. So I'm going to read to you John chapter three, or 12, 1 through 3. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was, one of the, Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, a spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Here it is, this occasion. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He stops in Bethany. John says it's six days before the Passover. He's with some of those who are closest to him at this particular time. So he's been invited to this dinner. Now, when you look at Matthew's account and Mark's account, 
Because sometimes we think about this and we just think, oh, this is in the home of Martha and Mary. Well, there's something interesting that is stated in Matthew's account, Mark's account, because it says it's in the home of Simon the leper. Now, I'm not going to go there. (laughs) But I find that real interesting. How there's such a close association between Simon the leper, which most say is the one that he cured, and Martha and Mary and Lazarus. But that's where he is. And it says in Matthew and Mark, it's Simon's house. But Martha's there serving. And Mary comes. And Lazarus is at the table with him. Now most of us understand, and we've talked about this before. It's not like we sit down at the table and eat, right? Because in this day and in this time, it was more like there was a table that was close to the floor and they would kind of recline around it as we've talked about before. And you would kind of lean on one arm and then you would reach in. And so their feet would be more exposed. Open, back, behind. <clears throat> and so this group is here. Think about this. Jesus and his disciples. How many is that? That's 13, isn't it? And it says Lazarus is there. That's 14. And Simon the leper is there. That's 15. And then there's Martha that's serving. And as ambitious as she is, she's probably taking care of most of it by herself. (laughs) But then Mary shows up on the scene. And she brings the soil. So we start to get a little bit of a visual, maybe, of what's going on here. And as I read that, and as I think about that, and I've told you before, I'm kind of a visual type learner, visual person. And I think to myself, what was that like? And Lazarus is at the table with him. Wouldn't you like to hear that dinner conversation? It's interesting also. In John chapter 11, it specifically says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Would you like to have your name recorded in God's Word and said, Jesus loved you? (laughs) You know, because we read John 3.16, well, God so loved the world. (laughs) But this gets personal, doesn't it? This is close. Also in John chapter 11, we know that Lazarus had been sick. And Martha and Mary had sent for Jesus, but Jesus didn't go right away, did he? He kind of delayed. And eventually he tells the other disciples that we must go and wake Lazarus. And they're like, what? (laughs) And then it says he just plainly tells them, Lazarus is dead. It's also interesting, too, that Thomas will peek up and say, you want to go to Judea? The last time you were there, they were talking about stoning you. But Jesus says, I'm going. And so Thomas says, might as well go with him. (laughs) We can all die together. And so away they go. And then by the time they get to Bethany, 
Lazarus has now been dead four days. And so when Jesus gets there and he sees them, they're all weeping. And there are other Jews there. And they are weeping. And it's interesting in that section too that that's that shortest verse in the Bible. Remember that? Jesus wept. So here's this family and they're weeping over the loss of a loved one. And there are other Jews that are close to them. And they're all weeping. And Jesus comes and then He weeps. And Mary and Martha have gone out to meet Him prior to this. And you remember the conversation that He has with Martha? And He tells her, your brother will rise again. She goes, oh, I know it will in the last day. And then Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then they proceed to this tomb. And Jesus says, Mary still don't get it. Or Martha. Jesus said, roll away that stone. And Martha says, Lord, by now he stinks. Jesus said, roll that away. And then he cries out. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus does. Martha is the one who had said that she believed that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Mary, now on this occasion, at this dinner, she's going to come and she's going to pour this oil on his feet. You know, back then, during that period of time, also, fragrances, and especially like this, because Judas will have something to say about that in a moment. This type of oil, this type of fragrance would have to have been imported. This was not something that was grown and manufactured locally. This is very expensive. And so, this, we're told, is very expensive oil. And so Mary brings this. And she pours it on Jesus' feet. And Judas, he's troubled by this. He's bothered by this. And he says, couldn't that have been sold and given to the poor? Judas is the one who actually tells us that it's worth an entire, or because of Judas, we're told that it's worth an entire year's salary. It's a lot of money, isn't it? Let me ask you this question. Just out of curiosity, this is one of the things I have done in the past. Around the holiday season, do you ever wonder how the other half lives? (laughs) You ever thought about that? So sometimes I Google things like gifts for the rich and famous. (laughs) That kind of thing. Well, a few years ago, there was a cologne, a perfume, that was sold at Harrods in London. Heard of it? It was called Imperial Majesty. 
$2,150 per ounce. So what the manufacturer, I don't know what he, what he called those people who make those clones, those perfumes. They took that and they put it in a crystal bottle. Then they wrapped a gold band around the neck of it. And they stuck a five carat diamond on the front of it. And then they sold it for $215,000. It was called Imperial Majesty. A lot of money, isn't it? But yet, Judas, in his comments, they make the point, this is a year's salary. What's the median income in the United States today? I didn't take the time to look this up. I thought I kind of generally know. I think it's somewhere around $40,000. Just kind of median income in the United States. Do you have a bottle of clone that's worth $40,000? I don't. And if I did, the Mary did, and she takes it, she pours it on Jesus' feet. And we look at that, and we think, wow, why would she do such a thing? So when Mary chose on this occasion, to honor Jesus? She didn't stop and count the cost, did she? This is the most precious thing I got. And I'm going to use it now to honor Him. But as we take a look at that, then we think, well, what does that mean for us? I liked it the way one writer put it this way. He said, this passage is more descriptive than it is prescriptive. In other words, he's saying, this is just kind of describing what Mary did in her attempt to honor Jesus. That's not saying that we have to do exactly the same thing But it's like, here somebody had this opportunity and this is what they did on this occasion. So it's more descriptive than it is prescriptive. But in thinking about that, what Mary's example does is it follows a Bible principle. When it comes to honoring Jesus, there has to be a willingness in our hearts to abandon everything for him. Do you remember the rich young ruler Matthew the 19th chapter? He came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And to kind of condense it quickly, Jesus said, Go and sell all that you have. Give to the poor and come follow me. And what did the rich young ruler do? He went away. He said he went away sad. Because he had much. And he didn't want to give that So what Jesus is teaching is there can't be anything that stands between Him or before Him and our relationship. So now we think about what is it that we might withhold or we wouldn't want to give up for Jesus. And so we have to stop and think 
do I calculate the cost before I give? Do I calculate the cost before I serve? Materially, we can think, is my home more important to me, the house that I live in, than Jesus? My house, my car, my bank account, my TV, <laughs> my kids, my family, our time, our convenience. So Judas looks at this, and essentially what he's saying to Mary is, what you just did was kind of a waste. I stop and I think about that. Remember I, who I told you is there? <laughs> and we know of Simon the leper and Jesus and all the disciples, Martha, Mary, Lazarus. Do you think when they were at the table that Lazarus might have, this is just speculation on my part. Do you think Lazarus might have said to Jesus, I want to thank you again. I want to thank you again. And Martha, see because it says that it's in Simon the leper's house. So I ask myself, what's she doing there? Did she hear that Jesus was coming along with the disciples and obviously they were close enough that she knew Simon the leper? He's coming. He's bringing the disciples. Can I help? You imagine that? You imagine Martha? Can I help? And when Martha was serving, do you think for a moment that whenever they were cutting the bread and they were passing it around to everybody to have some, she cut Jesus' part right out of the middle. Get, get the good part. <laughs> Jesus, you're going to get the best. Right? Yeah. Jesus, you need something else to drink. <laughs> Is there anything you need? I'll do it for you. So now here's Judas. And Mary comes in, got this expensive oil, and she pours it on his feet. And Judas says, that should have been sold. And the money given to the poor. And it's interesting what John says. He wasn't interested. John records this. He's not interested in the poor because he keeps the money box. <laughs> and he says, he used to take what was in it. And he says, he's a thief. I just got to stop and think. This is John. He's there. He's one of those 12. And he says, he used to take the money out of it. Do you think they ever talked about that? Well, we had money. Where did it go? Well, Judas has got the box. In and so he says, Judas says, you should have taken that. And, so, and he says, he was interested. <laughs> See, because he might get his hands on it. I might get that for me. I'm not interested in how Mary is honoring Jesus 
there's an opportunity for me to maybe gain something from this. And I thought about that too. Here's this entire group. Mary is doing something extravagant, showing how much she loves. That was her brother that he raised from the dead. She's showing her gratitude. And Judas is like, you think that much of him? (laughs) You poured all that on his feet? You should have taken that, sold it, and given it to the poor. And uh, by the way, we're kind of poor. You would have given some to us, right? As I read that, I think about today's setting. And in my mind, I'm thinking Jesus has got to be saying, I can hear you. (laughs) You don't think she did the right thing? I can hear you. So there they are. And that's what's going on. John 12, 4 through 6. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was, what was put in it. Think with me for a moment now. I'm just going to shift gears a little bit. In human relationships, we expect, just as humans, we kind of expect to have a give and take in, in human relationships, don't we? A give and take. If you're always giving and nobody is returning you think you're being taken advantage of. I did this for you, I did that for you, and what have you done for me? It's a give and take type relationship. And then on the other end of that, if we're always taking and we're not giving back, you think we ought to feel a little bit guilty about that? Always, but not giving back. So in this setting, you take a look at that and you think, now who's giving and who's wanting to take? And I think that's an important point because that's what John is doing for us. He's drawing a contrast between Mary and Judas. Mary is wanting to give back. Judas is still wanting to take. Hadn't he heard Jesus? Didn't he witness all those things that I talked about, John chapter 1 through 11? Didn't he hear those I am statements? Yeah, he had, but he still wanted to take. So let me give you this other illustration. There was a little girl lived in a small town. And right down the street from her, there was this candy store, and her and her friend used to go down there from time to time. And one day, her parents gave her but they said you can go to the candy store here's two dollars but here's the conditions you take one dollar and you can spend it 
And the other dollar you keep for Sunday and you give it to God on Sunday. You already know where the story's going, don't you? So as her and her friend head out down the street to the candy store, she's not being real careful with this. And it's kind of windy and it gets blown out of her hand. And it blows towards the street. And one of them drops on the grass and the other one just goes over the curb. And she runs over and she picks up the first one and then she looks over. There's one of those drains there, one of those grates. And the other dollar, right down through the grate. She picks up the first one and then she looks up at the sky and she said, sorry God, your dollar is down there. You think that's Judas? He's still wanting to take. He's not wanting to really get. So Christianity is kind of paradoxical. You have to be a slave in order to be free. You have to die in order to live. Jesus says the last will be first and the first shall be last. And the one who is greatest among you is your servant. That's normally not the way we think. And so I'll thank Cameron, 2 Corinthians 5, you read from <laughs> That Jesus died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but rather live for the one who died and rose again. See, Mary is displaying the kind of generous giver that God wants us to be because of what he has done that's what John says over in John 1 John chapter 4 and about verse 19 we love because he first loved us I want to read to you from Acts the 20th chapter we've been studying uh, 2nd Corinthians the apostle Paul and we've studied the book of Acts and we know about Paul's missionary journeys and so forth. But at the close of that third missionary journey, as he stops in Miletus and he calls for the elders from Ephesus and they come down and he talks with them, beginning at about verse 33, Acts 20 and verse 33. Paul says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said. It is more blessed to give than receive. What Paul just said. You know, while I was with you, I worked to support myself and to help support those who were with me while I was preaching to you. And then he says, the Lord himself 
It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. John 12. Let me get back there. Read verse 7 and 8 this time. John 12. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. So after Judas says that, what does Jesus say? So leave her alone. And then he says something interesting. She has kept this, she has held this. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. So Mary had been saving this. Some suggest that at that point what he is saying is she has poured out a good portion of this. Looks like she's going to pour out the entire thing. And it's like, save some of that for my burial. Because he knows why he's going to Jerusalem. Didn't Mary know? She very well could have. Exactly. Because he had told them all three times previous. He was going to go up to Jerusalem. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to be turned over. And he was going to be put to death. But he would rise again the third day. But here Mary gives this gesture, this honor towards Jesus. And she's not holding anything back. And here's where we kind of have to pause and give consideration once again what's going on. Have you ever heard it said love can be very extravagant? <laughs> Have you ever known of a young man who goes into debt way over his head <laughs> and makes payments to buy a ring? <laughs> ever heard that kind of thing? Kind of extravagant, isn't it? <laughs> Spare no cost for this girl. Right? Or Honeymoons, spent a lot of money there, you know. Well, we're in love. Anniversaries, big celebrations, extravagant, right? You know that love is difficult to explain to someone who's not in love. You know that? And I'll just add this. You can correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I've said it before. But I'll say it again. You can tell me what you think. I think people have a hard time falling in love with church. You know that? But you want to know one thing I know for sure? You can fall in love with Jesus. And that changes everything else. I think that's where Mary was. So in John 12 and verses 5 and 6, Judas asked, why wasn't that sold and given to the poor? And you know what you could say to Judas? You don't get it, do you? You just don't get it. So then Jesus in verse 8, he says, you'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Does that mean that Jesus doesn't care anything about the poor and the needy? 
Well, obviously not, because if you follow his ministry, oftentimes was ministering to the poor and the needy. I think what he is saying is the poor are going to always be with you. But the opportunities to serve Jesus are limited. And it's the time we have. And Mary had this time, and she was extravagant in showing her love. And so what does God want? If you travel Europe, I've never been there, but I've been told. There are some magnificent cathedrals in Europe. Extravagant. But is that what the Lord wants from us? To build some huge edifice, some huge building to honor Him. I think from this illustration is what John is showing is he wants our love. Mary exemplifies that. She doesn't hold anything back. She didn't count the cost. And if we stop and think about that, and if we strive to be that way, then I think our emphasis on the Great Commission, go make disciples. I think our emphasis on the greatest commands, remember those? To love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It kind of helps to bring all that into focus. I'm going to read you this poem by Theodore W. Brennan, and then I'll leave it there. It's entitled, Those Wasted Years. He said, I looked upon a farm one day that I once used to own. The barn had fallen to the ground. The fields were overgrown. The house in which my children grew, where we had lived for years, I turned to see it broken down and brushed aside the tears. I looked upon my soul one day to find it had, find too it had grown. With thorns and nettles everywhere, the seeds neglect had sown. The years had passed while I had cared for things of lesser worth. The things of heaven I let go while mending things on earth. To Christ I turned with bitter tears and cried, O Lord, forgive. I have not much time left for thee, not many years to live. The wasted years forever gone, the days I can't recall. If I could live those days again, I'd make him Lord of all. Yeah, I could. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes we have to think and stop and ponder, and I believe that's one of the reasons why John 12 is recorded for us there. Here's Mary, extravagant in her love, her display towards Jesus, and then there's this contrast with Judas. It's a profound message that John records for us there. One closing thought. Most of the time, we don't think about guys as being the ones who are going to go out and buy the perfume unless it's a birthday or Valentine's Day or Christmas or something. And then all of a sudden, we're interested. Other than that, we're not interested, right? <laughs> Generally speaking. But here's John. Here's a guy. And he says the fragrance filled the house. Why do you think he recorded that? What really 
filled that house? Was it just fragrance? Or what? What it represented. How Mary felt towards Jesus. No gift too precious. So that's John 12, 1 through 8. I'm going to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If we can help you in any way making your relationship right with the Lord today, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.